I'm Rachel Perkins, and you're listening to the Nordic Nation podcast from Faster Skier. In this episode, we have U.S. Ski and Snowboard Development Team Coach Greta Anderson to discuss her first year in the role and the growth and progress of the U.S. Development Program, which feeds the success we now see on the World Cup. We take a look at highlights of the 2022 FIS Junior and U23 World Ski Championships, which took place last February in Ligna, Norway, and discuss athletes newly named to the U.S. ski team, as well as the initiatives and philosophies within the development program which help these athletes thrive holistically while taking steps forward in their ski careers. Before we jump in, here's a quick note from this episode's sponsor, Boulder Nordic Sport. Boulder Nordic Sport is the industry-leading resource for cross-country ski equipment, waxing, stone grinding, and hand-selected skis. Whether you're looking to tour at a local park, finish your 15th Berkey in style, or are aiming for the next Olympic team, Boulder Nordic Sport's passionate staff can help you get the perfect gear for your cross-country skiing experience. Visit bouldernordic.com to shop one of the biggest selections of ski gear in the country, or check out their extensive library of waxing how-tos on YouTube. Yeah, thank you for taking the time to come on. Maybe to to get started, if you want to just give an introduction of who you are, and maybe a little bit about your background, given this is kind of a development-focused podcast, what were some of the aspects in your own development as a skier that you feel were impactful for your own skiing and and just how they shaped your approach to the sport during that phase of your life? Yeah, so um, I'm Greta Anderson. I am the development coach for US Ski Team. I am in, I'm wrapping up year one of the job role. Um, I, I grew up in Anchorage, so I had an aunt who was a coach of junior Nordic and a cousin who was skiing in college, uh, at UAA with the Seawolves when I was younger. And so I thought that was pretty cool in kindergarten. Nina Kempel came to Sand Lake elementary school. So that would have been following the 94 games. And then in sixth grade, Keegan Randall came to our class, which was a super big deal. Um, and I was, I'd been skiing in the junior Nordic program at that time. I started working with, um, a club in sixth grade, which was Alaska winter stars with Jan Buron, and then, you know, raced as a junior through that program, raced in high school in Anchorage. Um, and then my senior year of high school transitioned over to APU, uh, Nordic ski center at the time, you know, Keegan was there. Holly Brooks was there racing Sadie Bjornsson. So some good female racers. And I was excited to train with them and kind of get started on my collegiate education. Um, and so I studied psychology there, had some great professors, um, was training a few years in, injured my back and needed to take a break and ended up slippery sloping into from like a little coaching into a lot of coaching. And then as my back healed, kind of decided I didn't, I I enjoyed the coaching a lot more than training. And so trended toward that, um, spent a few years in Steamboat Springs at the Winter Sports Club there with uh, Brian Tate and Josh Schmullen and a really great group of athletes. Um, In that time, I think we put 19 athletes of 24 that were there in the three-year window I was there into NCAA programs, which was a cool thing to learn kind of how that process works and what some of the elements necessary for success there are. And then from there, I went back to Alaska and was going to transition out of coaching and obviously boomeranged back to coaching uh, with winter stars and yawn and, you know, had a great experience there, popped around a little bit more, um, did a little bit of time in Crested Butte with Molly Sisla. And then from there kind of ended up with the national team job last year. And so this year has really been a tremendous amount of learning, um, trying to pay attention. I always hope that your first year at a new job, it's the worst at it that you'll ever be, but probably also the most enthusiastic and it's probably the most you'll learn day to day. And so that's been a fun, fun process this year, certainly with challenges, you know, it's an Olympic year, um, I know COVID's been really hard on, on every industry and every person in its own ways. And so, um, you know, I know Chris spoke on the podcast last week about that and it's certainly, um, 
it's a challenge, but it's part of what we do. So it's been a fun part of my life. And I'm really excited that I get to share it with everybody around the country. It's fun to go to races and people say, oh, who's your athlete? You say all the Americans, you know, and uh, it's fun to fun to be on everybody's team. So. And just to kind of um, as we get into talking about different elements of the development program, what is the the age group Um like, how is that defined in terms of like what categorizes as development? Um, just to yeah, make it clear what, what that group is that you're primarily serving. Yeah. So my role is everybody basically up to the age of 23, that's maybe not yet on the D team and the D is for development. Right. And so we have an A team, a B team and a D team. Um, and so the D team is really designed for our U23 athletes that are meeting the international standard as far as points go or have a really high-end performance that's an indicator of being on a trend um, to probably medal later in their career is the way the criteria is written what i try to do is cast as wide a net as i can kind of you know we start to see formal training and maybe some people that are have a propensity for some ski skill at the u16 age group and so we have the U16 camps that have been put on for a long time. I know Rick Capal has been a big uh, supporter and director of those camps. And like Kate, who Kate Barton, who is now Kate Johnson, um, you know, did a lot of organization for those camps. This year we'll be running two U16 camps, which will ca- capture more athletes overall, um, but be a little less centralized. So we're going to have a West Alaska U16 camp and then a Central East U16 camp. And between those two camps, we should capture about 60 athletes in that age group. And that's kind of where we start paying attention to and discussing with them. You know, this is where you can take skiing. This is where skiing can take you. Here's some of the skills you need to probably develop or things you should focus on. Um you know, and, and more than what we can say as coaches, getting that, those groups together, those athletes together, so they can learn from one another and kind of build their own culture and identity of being a cross country ski racer is I think a really critical element for staying in the sport. Like when you look at a lot of the racers that are on D team and now B team and A team, many of them were at some of the first U16 camps um, in recent history. And a lot of them say, oh, yeah, that was my favorite camp of all time. Or they're, they're lifelong friends are from camp. And so, you know, even though it's our list tier, um, it's a good indoctrination into what being a ski racer in the U.S. might look like for them. You talked a little bit about this when you're introducing yourself, but just um, your first year in this role there has to be a pretty significant learning curve in, in certain places. Um, but it's also, you know, it was on paper, a really successful year for that, um, development program, whether that's, you know, looking at world juniors, um, open cup finals, just domestic racing. Um, so in, in thinking about what were some of those places where there was kind of a, a learning curve for you, what are you, what stands out in that sense? And then what also are you kind of proud of in, in what you were able to achieve in your first year in the role? Yeah. You know, this year had a few elements and one of the things that going into our planning meetings made me feel pretty good was Chris Grover saying like, this is the hardest two years I've ever had, you know? Um, so a few elements of this year, you know, one was COVID. It affected everybody in different ways. Um, it was challenging for me from a perspective standpoint. So as the lead on any project, like your number one goal in the process of delivering a great experience is keeping everyone safe. Um, and I decided early on that personally, you know, COVID isn't going to ruin life experiences or come in the way of making really meaningful, positive interpersonal connections in my life. That was a big priority for me. I think it's really important for mental health and critical for teens And so that's been one of the greatest challenges of COVID for so many like individuals and teams in my eyes. So prioritizing that, being open to meeting with folks outdoors or where and how they're comfortable, be it on Zoom or, um, you know, from a distance has been a pretty high priority item for me for the last two years professionally. So, you know, we're on these trips with that balance of making sure everyone's healthy 
we are doing testing relatively often and trying to be considerate of how and when we do that testing to make sure that if somebody doesn't feel well, we're on the front end of it, we can make some adaptations and make sure that they're treated well and able to recover and that it doesn't expose the other members of our team. Um, my One of my other objectives this season, and this was a pretty major work objective for me, was paying attention to what was going on, trying to ask good questions, becoming really familiar with quotas, FIST policies, team criteria for selection. In that way, it was great to have it be an Olympic year to trial by fire and have all of that coming out at one time. It was a really massive year for our nation with the Olympics, um, World Juniors. You know, I took a lot of notes along the way. Ironically, part of the experience of paying attention was not getting like bogged down, overloaded or distracted um, with trying to take action on everything right away that we saw that could use improvement or we could take action on. Um, and so coming into this year with quite a bit more context has been a good thing. Um, but that's been a, you know, that was a definitely a clear objective headed into the year um, on the athlete facing end the whole person is pretty important. Like we have some really strong men in our program right now, some strong ladies too. Men's development curve is, seems like it tends to be a bit longer before they're um, physiologically at their potential for top performance. Right now, you know, the reality is a few of them were on the Olympic team and a few of them were right on the cusp of that. To really develop an athlete like that, see through their full potential and you know, maximize their performance. We need them in the sport for another six to eight years, which is great to be able to have such a long, amazing career. And also for that to be possible, it needs to be meaningful, include fun, social and personal development. Um, you know, and so being aware of that and creating an environment as a lead on those trips and projects and teams, I think is really important for the long-term performance and success of the athletes and the teams, but, you know, also for them, just as individuals, you want to feel like this is what I want to be doing, not, oh man, I'm missing out on X, Y, and Z, because generally our athletes are really exciting people. They have a lot of opportunities. They're generally, you know, high achieving academically. And so there's always an opportunity cost, whatever you do, you want to feel like the thing you do is, is where you want to be every day to love the sport even when it's not always bringing you back which you know everybody has a season a week a training block or sometimes a year um, where that can be really challenging I want to ask about um, the Opal Cup finals trip specifically so I after I think that might have been the last time that we spoke um, yeah I, Elena Sanas and I spoke with her after that trip also and she was just speaking really highly in terms of your leadership there and that that was maybe one of the places, um, I think Brian Fish was back and forth to junior nationals, if I'm correct, yep. on the timeline. Brian there. was trying yeah. to keep this Delta status. Yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that was maybe um, one of your first times as kind of the primary lead on one of these international trips. Um, yep. and she, she just, rec you know, uh, recognized kind of your, your capability and, um, just confidence in, you know, taking that on, um, and just how successful that trip was and what that environment was like. Um, so maybe speaking to that trip specifically and just that, that maybe the difference in terms of, uh, if there is anything that stands out in terms of taking that step as the trip leader versus, um, you know, being somebody who's in maybe more of a supporting role and just what that was like. Yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the things that I've tried to sharpen in my skill set over the years is um, being able to delegate, but also being able to lead and knowing the difference between what's the most effective course of action. And that was, that was the first trip I was kind of the solo lead on and in this role. Um, we had a really great trip and a couple things were the tipping point in my mind that made the difference. And one was that we had an incredible staff. So we had a, we ran a small staff, but we had Peter Kling come to pre-camp with me. Peter is a 
he's been on quite a few Opa Cup trips as an athlete before. He lived in the region for about a year prior um, to us going on that trip. And he's a cluster application wizard. Peter grew up in Vermont. He worked with Justin Beckwith at GMBS at that time. And um, he's he's very good at that application. And so um, to have him at pre-camp and then we had Andy Newell and John Florido show up. John Florido brought his wife, Erin, um, and Erin is a physical therapist. And so we were able to have a PT on the trip, which I think up the level of professionalism and support we were able to provide the athletes with. Um, you know, it was great. We had a staff that worked well together. Everybody had strengths. They were clearly defined in their roles. I think that makes a huge difference. Um, Brian showed up a few days later and was awesome to have on board and took care of the organizational and paperwork end of it, which he's very familiar with at this point. Um, you know, and then the other thing that I think was made a huge difference for the athletes was their level of professionalism when they showed up, they were prepared, they knew their needs. Many of them knew their skis or were able, had adequate time to work with the techs and that trip was amazing. There were a lot of things working in our favor. There were a few challenges, but the athletes were very flexible. They worked with us, um, you know, and we were able to have great races at the end of what felt like a 10 day ski training vacation. The vitamin dolomite effect was strong. Um, and so, yeah, so we had a really good trip over there experience wise, performance wise. And I think that's what we aim to deliver for every trip that we're running. Um, but it takes the entire crew being on board athletes and coaches in order to, to deliver that and, and have, you know, two backup plans and know that you're going to have to cancel at least one and improvise on the other. So. I also am hoping to ask kind of a more behind the scenes question in terms of, you know, as you're reviewing this first year, um, or just kind of looking back over what's been going well over the last several seasons and where you're looking to go in the future in terms of, you know, conversations with Brian Fish or just, you know, at focusing on that, that development group. Um, what are some of the priorities that are discussed to help continue to support athletes and clubs kind of across the U S and are there different needs and focuses kind of depending on, um, the region or, or the age group? Yeah. Every good coach I know only has 24 hours a day they succeed because they're able to narrow their focus. And so something that I often consider is, um, you know, with the time that we do have, how can we maximize our impact? And I think something that we aim to do more of in the future that is a good use of time is working with the club coaches, working with regional directors, making sure that you know, if they have an athlete that needs some support or they have an athlete that is looking for opportunities and is not sure what the next step to take is, that that door is open, they can call anytime and we can find solutions or options um, for those types of things. You know, if for whatever reason, something's not working with a race circuit or a course or um, I felt like Congress this year was really productive in terms of folks coming to the table kind of with a plan laid out that we had discussed beforehand as a greater community and said, Hey, weigh in on this. If you, you know, think that we need to make changes and everybody came to those meetings, very solution oriented and that allowed things to run smoothly. I think are one of the things that I'm really proud of as a ski community um, and excited about as a development coach is I look at coaches who have recently, I'm putting this in air quotes, retired, you know, Gordo Lang, uh, Ruff Patterson. Um, these guys are at the uh, Sveri, right? These guys are at the races two or three times throughout the winter. So it's more of them than I've seen in a few years, partially COVID and partially their heads down looking at P-TECs most years all the time, right? And so I think it speaks volumes about our ski community that these guys that have been in it for 30 plus years are still really happy to be around the race scene because it's an exciting time. It's a fun time. It's a great community. Everybody has ownership in it and is excited about what's going on. And I think to feel that way about a sport you've worked in your whole life um, really is 
a pretty amazing um, community to be part of. It says a lot about wanting the future to be better, which is how good leaders leave programs and, you know, how they, how they leave a legacy of, you know, wanting to be involved in the future, but also being excited about where everyone else is taking it. In terms of some of the kind of um, projects or initiatives that are maybe happening as well, um, I spoke with Alishka Albrechtson um, Mm -hmm. earlier this spring, and she was mentioning she was involved in some updating of curriculum for the Level 100 um, coach certification program. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about what's happening there and maybe if there's other initiatives in that realm of kind of coach development and education that are maybe coming from um, that, yeah, USG and snowboard level? Yeah, you know, Adam St. Pierre and Brian Fish have worked tirelessly for a long time on our curriculum. Many years ago, I went to a level 100 that Brian Fish was teaching, and it was one of his first ones, I believe. Um, We had, at that time, we didn't have a curriculum, and so it had been kind of modeled after what Alpine was doing. Well, three years later, Alpine spun around and said, we want what Nordic has because they have a really great curriculum. And so Brian had worked with a guy who now is involved at a fairly high administrative level at Steamboat, John Nolting, and they had put together a ton of material um, and a really good course manual that what the course is directed at the level 100 and level 200 breakdown now is a bit different than what it was four years ago. The goal is that we have that curriculum. um, We have all the coaches level 100 certified. But before that goal even comes into play, and this was a COVID pinch point, you know, is that has to be available and an opportunity for everybody in our community, because everyone is very capable of fulfilling this level 100 curriculum if they're a professional coach. Um, Is it offered at a time that, that they have adequate bandwidth to do it? You know, in the middle of race season is not always the best time to try to get coach certifications done. Um, And so we're trying to increase our number of coach developers uh, so that more folks can teach the courses, more folks can certify others, sign off on it. And we just have more people in this key community at large that have that information because it's completely open source. You know, anyone can do it. Um, It's anybody that has interest and we want it to be readily accessible to anyone who wants to get into coaching. And the goal there, is in the next four years that we have everybody level one hundred certified. And is there any change in terms of just um, what is requ- like requirements of coaches that like is, is there sort of like a, a raising of the bar of what the expectations are for coaches for any of the level one hundred or level two hundred um, or is that kind of staying pretty consistent? Um, it's fairly consistent. It's always been a field day and some coursework and a evaluation. Right now, the, one of the things that's been added is um, an on-site coach evaluation and a curriculum meeting with a level 100 coach developer. Um, that's a, it's an evaluation, but it's basically a competency evaluation of, okay, do you understand the material? Can you teach this skill set? So slight changes, but nothing major. I also wanted to ask about, um, in that conversation with, with Chris Grover, he was mentioning just some of the, the gender and, um, gender equity initiatives that are happening at the development level as well. I think trip staffing has been a a big place where there's been a a real emphasis on making sure there's some balance in, um, coaches attending, you know, supporting athletes at these different junior national trips or international trips, um, and as coaching, you know, I think the development program, we think of it as like developing athletes, but there's also a place for developing coaches that are going to support athletes on, you know, higher and higher level trips also. Um, can you talk a little bit about what's what's happening there in terms of just what are some of those initiatives and just what you're seeing um, in terms of how effective those have been so far? Yeah, um, you know, I know Chris spoke about the FIS initiative with the women's gender bibs. So getting your quota of coaches allowed on course up to eight with two women's only bibs. Um, 
it's not a perfect solution, but it's a way to increase incentive for more women coaches being developed across other nations as well as our own. Um, you know, there are a ton of great coaches in skiing in the U.S. who are women. We've seen a huge increase in the number of female coaches at U.S. Um, junior nationals, at U.S. nationals. Um, there are more female head coaches in the collegiate systems. And, um, you know, I, I, we've been putting out a call for coaches. We're trying to formalize our coach recruiting process for development projects in particular. So U16, uh, World Juniors, REG camps, National Elite Group camps, um, the U18 trip, which I'll speak about a little later in this interview. Um, but, you know, if you want to get into coaching, regardless of your gender, my advice is get involved in your local level of regional elite group get involved in your team's junior national team, um, utilize the club that you work with or the program that you work with in order to make sure that you have the level 100 training or you have certifications. It's highly unlikely that you're going to be on a world junior staff if you've never worked at REG U16 or any national team project. And the reason for that is continuity within our national team, right? knowing kind of how the system works and maybe more important than anything else is the familiarity with athletes. So if you go to U16 camp, you meet athletes from most years, every region this year, three different or four different regions. Right. And so then you have a good idea of racers and what's going on around the country. You see them at nationals, you see those same athletes at junior nationals, you see them the following year at REG if they're racing well at REG, right, or performing well at REG in the evaluations, you'll see them at National Elite Group. And that's how you build continuity with those athletes. Then you show up at World Juniors and you already know half the team. And more importantly, they know you. They're really comfortable coming to you for coaching. And, and that's kind of what we're looking for and looking to build. So you do see a lot of the same names on some of those trip staffs. It's folks that are really familiar with those systems and really familiar with the athletes. At the same time, we're working to, I, myself and Brian Fish, particularly on the development projects, are working to increase that gender parity where we have the same number of, you know, male and female staff in terms of it becoming someday, hopefully irrelevant of what our staff looks like um, so that all the athletes are supported by a, staff that doesn't all look the same ski the same kick the classic skis in the same way um and so those are things that are important elements we had lizzie larkins and um julia hayes on our world junior staff this year they were rock stars but you know one of the first comments is hey i'm like we're the only pair of women out here on the test track doing paired glide outs i said yeah you know when i was here a couple of years ago i was the glide tech and it was, I was the only woman doing it and um, that's okay, but it would be nice to see more places. We're starting to see that. I think we're starting to hit that tipping point. You're seeing it with junior nationals and with, you know, uh, the number of bibs at nationals, that type of thing, the number of people getting their level 100 certs. And so that's really encouraging um, and we'll continue to support it as much as we can. Another kind of development program philosophy kind of question, um, you know, overall development in this country kind of happens at the the club level and not necessarily yep. what happens, you know, at a two week, one or two week REG or NTG or, or world juniors pre-camp. Um, at the same time, you know, and, and those are events that are, or, you know, camps that are hosted by US Ski and Snowboard. Um, at the same time, there, there has to be kind of some collaboration and unity between clubs and, you know, the, the development program through US Ski and Snowboard. So what do you see as kind of important parts of navigating the dynamic between respecting, you know, the autonomy of clubs and maybe the initiatives and priorities of some of those club coaches while also balancing, you know, your own insights as a coach um, that might be helpful for a given athlete or, you know, um, you know, things that maybe align more with that national perspective or objectives from the U.S. Ski and Snowboard side of the equation? 
That's a good question. And I think that um, that speaks to some cultural changes in our country. Almost all of the coaches that have established major legacy programs in the last 30 years were not part of a club system in the U.S. growing up because they didn't exist. And so that buy-in and that trust in what we're trying to do now as a national team supporting those clubs is something that we have to build. And that trust is the onerous is on us to establish that um, with those coaches. And so I think the first word that comes to my mind when you ask that question is humility and what can you teach us? So anytime we get a group of athletes together from multiple clubs, they bring they bring a piece of their club and a piece of what they're learning and their background for training and their philosophy and what their coaches have been working with them on to the table and all of the athletes, it's very informal, of course, get to share that with each other. They all become better because of it. So things that we can do are small, communicating with the coaches, checking in, making sure we don't send athletes home overtrained or with overuse injuries. You know, if they say, Hey, you know, Timmy can't handle more than three hours of running this week. We need to be respectful of that. And even if Timmy wants to push it, maybe not send him on the five hour OD run and rent him a mountain bike instead. Um, you know, I think that publishing our training plans beforehand, so coaches can plan around it, being clear with, and this is something we can improve on, um, getting the camp dates set a bit earlier in the summer. So people can do their own club training and like planning, um, you know, those types of things are, they're small, but over time they add up and those make the difference between buy-in at the national team level and, and lack thereof. And something that I've seen an improvement on anyway, in, in my time so far, uh, coaching is generally when an athlete or two is at world juniors, a coach will go with them on the staff or apply for the staff. And we try to bring that coach along because that continuity is really important for the athlete's success. I want to maybe shift over to talking about world juniors. Um, you know, first of all, from, from kind of the, the coach and athlete support perspective on the world juniors trip, it looks like it's a pretty wild schedule in terms of it's a lot of racing, um, every day. And I'm sure that was kind of a bit of a, a whirlwind. Um, but in thinking back and can you talk a little bit about just, you know, the staff that you had there and the group and um, just what some of the yeah highlights of that experience were. Yeah. Um, World Juniors is a wild ride. It's eight days, eight championship events back to back. Um, and so it's this groundhog day every day of same uniform, same, hopefully same process, same methods, right? Same group of people working together. And we had an awesome staff this year. So we had um, you know, our techs, we had a wax room manager, we had a coach for each, the junior and U23 team. And then we had somebody handling paperwork, logistics and directing. We had two team docs instead of just one. And we brought, uh, Steve Fuller came along with us who does flying point, um, photography. And so, you know, Steve has coached, has been involved in the business end of skiing and sport for a long time. It just brings a wealth of knowledge and it's great to have with the team. So we had myself, Brian Fish, Olaf Hedberg um, from Summit, Anson Moxness from NSAA, Julia Hayes from BSF, Lizzie Larkins from MSU Bozeman, and she's also running the Western REG camp this year, August Teague from Aspen. Uh, Jack Novak from APU, Paul Smith from Sun Valley, Pat O'Brien from Stratton, um, Steve Fuller, who I mentioned just a minute ago, uh, and doctors Elizabeth Smith and Katie Eichton. And, um, you know, Elizabeth Smith is a PT and Katie Eichton is a MD. And they were, they both missed the Berkey to be with us for uh, World Juniors, which was a huge deal. Um and I mean, our staff just crushed it. It is a really challenging schedule. I would say probably the most challenging tech schedule there is. Um, it's exhausting. The first three days, I think you settle in and it's like, am I going to survive this? And then you're surviving it. You're in a workflow and you try to thrive. Our national team at that event is essentially the only team there that doesn't work together all year as a service staff. 
And so we really bring a lot of people together and we say, hey, can you work together? And so going into this year, putting the staffing together, um, there were quite a few phone calls. And I think that any team, especially staffs live and die by this ability to communicate, you know, of saying, hey, where do you think that you're strong? What do you want to be working on all week? Are you willing to work with this person on it? How is that chain of command going to go if we get in a pinch point situation where we have to make a quick decision? And, you know, if we have a day that doesn't go the way that we're hoping it does, are we able to reset and get a clean slate going for the following day? Because that ability to continue trusting your process, addressing small issues without taking it personally and keep working together um, is, is very critical on those on those trips and for those events. And the most important thing is that the athletes have a good experience and they're well taken care of. And this year, I don't think we could have done a better job with that. I felt like our athletes were really well served. They got to know a lot of the staff at the pre-camp and, you know, ski selection was clearly communicated how, how that process was going to go. Each athlete had their respective tech they were working with. Um, and we were able to provide competitive skis every day. I want to ask a little bit more about that in terms of, um, you know, I think World Juniors in particular, it seems like, you know, it could be potentially a, a fairly high stress environment for a lot of the athletes. And um, especially that World Juniors group, you know, they're pretty young. Many of them are racing internationally for their first time. Um and they may or may not, right, have their primary coach there. That, that's probably the ideal, but it's not going to be a reality for every athlete that's making the trip. Um, so in terms of as you're getting to know that group um, or just kind of getting, you know, getting kind of the, the tone set at, at an event like that, like what are some ways that you're looking to kind of build trust and, and rapport in that setting and just kind of connect with those athletes to identify what are their needs um, to make sure that they are getting kind of the, the support they need and just feel, feel set up to succeed at those events? Yeah, that's a good question. We ask the athletes, we talk to their coaches. If they're a younger athlete, especially one we haven't worked with before, um, I try to talk to their parents or check in with their parents and kind of get a feel for, um, you know, And sometimes we get really different input. The coach will say, oh, the athlete is this way. The parent's perception or their experience with their own child will be different. Um, And that's all pieces of what makes that person, that racer, who they are. And it's our job to help them maximize their performance on race day for almost all of our athletes. It's the, you know, largest event that they have been to, or that they will be at this year. That's not the case with every single athlete. Um, but, you know, we want to put them on the start line ready and feeling good and feeling like they have an opportunity to have a great result because at this point in our nation's development, they truly do. Um, you know, and so we do what we can to make sure that they are in a good place. We ask for communication, which is easier for some than others. And we try to cover those bases. Um, everyone's different, but we have the bandwidth as a staff and you know, we'll expand our staff size a bit for this upcoming World Juniors at Whistler. And so we hope to have even more resources for the athletes um, to help them maximize what they're doing and feel ready coming into coming into the event. Some of the feedback we got this year, we thought, oh, maybe the pre-camp this year was too long. Well, the last night we just kind of informally said, hey, what was the highlight of this week for you real quick? Let's just go around the table. And over half the athletes said, I really loved pre-camp. It was so fun. I had a good experience and I feel like I've been here for a while and had like long enough to settle in and get comfortable. And so that feedback for us was really valuable. Then we know that, okay, maybe we need a week or even a little longer for some of these venues for a pre-camp for the athletes to, to feel like their body is ready to go again for a big championship event like that. Maybe a, Similar question, but more on the the coach tech side of things. You mentioned that there's kind of like everybody had a, a really specific and well defined role, and that kind of helped um, just with communication and and probably efficiency and things like that. Um, and but in terms of you know you, you have the pre camp, um, and it is 
a pretty small world in our sport. Um, so I'm sure a lot of these people you've had the opportunity to work with in other capacities in the past. Um, but in terms of just, you know, ensuring that everybody is on the same page, particularly coming into an event like that where the schedule is going to be super demanding um, and there's there's races you know, every day for eight days. Um, just what are the what are the processes like in terms of making sure there's that cohesion and um, communication for the the coach tech side of things? I would say communication. It's there's no secret when you go to junior nationals. There's no secret when you go to nationals. Um, there's no secret in some regions in our country that there are some really strong personalities. Many of them are used to running their own programs, their own show. They're the head coach or the executive director, um, you know, day to day with what they're doing professionally. And so among our staff, we have these really strong personalities who know a lot and are, um, you know, very highly qualified in those roles and highly experienced. And they have to be willing to work together to be on that team. So among our staff as much or more than the athletes, it can be challenging when you have these high pressure situations back to back for over a week and every single day is a world championship. So, you know, when we set out to do staffing for the year, making those expectations clear early on and saying, you know, what is the chain of command? So who makes the final call if we need to make one? What is the decision-making process we're gonna use in order to do that? You know, one of the things that I did was talk to each member of our uh, coaching staff prior to going to the championships and said, what do you want to be doing? What are you willing to do? What do you not want to do? Is there any anyone that you don't want to or aren't willing to work with? You know, do you have any hesitations going on this trip? And what do you think are going to be some of the challenges of COVID, of this venue, of, you know, maybe one of these athletes? Um, and those are all things that I think if we talk about in a little lower pressure environment on the front end we at least have some context when we go into those pressure cooker situations and then it can be you know even at a high stakes event like that it can be really productive and um you know quite harmonious um when you get into a good workflow with with people you trust I want to take a little look at, at results also, and but also kind of add some context to to those results in terms of, um, you know, we had Sydney Palmer Ledger had a sixth place in the 15k free. The U20 women's relay was fifth, um, which I think was a really yeah really noteworthy for that group. They were about a minute outside of the medals. Um, Sammy Smith was fifth in the skate sprint and eleventh in the 15k free and. I think consequently has been named to the USQ team, um, D team. And similarly, Michael Earnhardt, 10th in the 30K. Will, Will Coke had two individual top 15s. And then that men's U20 relay, um, earning a bronze medal. And I think when we spoke during World Juniors, it sounded like that was sort of like really a lot of pieces coming together and maybe again for them also skiing potentially above the expectation for that day, like really working together well as a team and um, just individually skiing really well for each of those legs. So I'm hoping you can kind of, you know, just talk through some of those moments in terms of um, whether it's those races specifically or other races where, you know, it's just athletes putting the pieces together and, and days where there was some really noteworthy progress and accomplishments out there. Yeah, you know, the women's relay was really special. Um, we weren't able to field a team the year prior because of COVID among the team. Um, and so this year that meant starting in the back of the field, I think Bib 18 maybe. And uh, for them to go all the way from 18th to 5th with, um, you know, all but Sydney were rookies this year on the team was really an incredible showing of our depth as a nation. Um, and that was fun. That's a really quick race. And so there's not a lot of room and time to move. And so, um, you know, I think some of our ground speed is, is certainly improving. That was fun to watch. And then for the men to, um, you know, hang it out there and say, we want a medal. We're good enough to win a medal. Those guys did it. We can do it. Um, was great too. Watching like, you know, uh, Noel Keefe made a big jump this year in his distance racing and was, you know, had three evenly splitted laps in the distance classic and really skied well. That was um, 
fun progress to see you have this is one of my favorites so last fall at national elite group michael earnhardt is uh riding to the the coe with me in the van and a couple other guys and we were talking about goals for the season and oh what do you think you want to do and he's i want to be on the d team and i'm like okay cool so what's your what's your plan for that and he said you're going to try to like get your points lower the next year oh no no i'm going to do it this year Right. And, uh, and so assertive and so confident and Michael has set his sights on this target. And, um, you know, that's a, that's a fun thing to watch an athlete do that. And so this year, the first race for the men before the relay was the 30 K and that's the big, big way to start the week, 30 K mass start. And, um, Michael sat in 11th, most of the race and a top 10 at world juniors puts you on D team in an individual race at this point in time. And, uh, and Michael knew it and he was 10th and he crossed the line and he was so happy. And, you know, he afterward was just kind of talking and said, yeah, I knew, you know, I was knew I was in it and I figured that today was my best chance at, at doing it. And now the pressure's off for the rest of the week and the pressure is not really off, but here's somebody who set a massive goal for themselves and says, I want to do it this year. This is my timeline. This is what I want to do. And, um, and did it. And then the following day, you know, three of those four guys had raced the 30 K. So they had 90 kilometers of skiing in their legs collectively. And then to have, um, you know, to, to not just medal, but be, be in the race the whole time was really impressive, um, and, and fun to watch. And so couldn't be, couldn't be prouder. And, you know, we're not surprised at this point to see racing of that level, but we're really happy and excited for the athletes every time that they make it happen. There's a moment where you get to observe the athletes seeing in themselves that they did that. And that's a pretty special moment in coaching. I'd say one of the other highlights, um, Annie McColgan and Kate Oldham, who both raced at world juniors and U 23s, um, were able to spend some time in Europe afterward, ended up extending their trip to go on to um, OPA Cup. And so they had time to kind of get into the flow of like an extended period of European racing and training. I think that was a really good experience. It was fun to watch them grow during that three and a half week window. Um, and as I guess we just said, those results can help um, athletes make the, the D team. And so... Um, in looking at kind of this new roster, there's there's a pretty sizable group on the D team this year um, with some new athletes making that team. So can you talk a little bit about just what, you know, what making the D team does in terms of supporting that athlete's development and maybe just kind of the nuts and bolts of, you know, how World Juniors, I think U.S. Nationals results are fairly important there. Um, just what what sort of the, the key things that maybe, um, need to happen for, for an athlete to make that team also. Yeah. Um, I think, I think that our goal is always to get as many athletes on the D team as possible. And then the following year to get as many athletes off of the D team as possible because they're moving on to the B team or the A team. Right. And so the D team is designed for the U23s it's this great launch for athletes. So it puts you, you know, it's a nomination, which is really exciting for the athlete, the club, their families. Um, you know, it's, you look at us ski team and you want to be on that team. Right. And, and that's how people should feel about us ski team. We should be supporting them in such a way in the community that that's the uniform they want to wear. Um, you know, so it opens up quite a few resources in terms of the access that U.S. ski teams resources has to offer things like tuition support and reimbursement, health insurance, access to coaches, PT, medical, nutritionists, um, performance psychologists. Um, it opens the door for attending national team camps, which I would argue is probably the biggest asset in terms of actual athletic development that, um, you know, is provided. Um, it allows it allows those athletes to work more freely with the members of the national team, which is how you make that next step or a major component of how you make that next step. Um, you know, and so the, 
several of the athletes on the, you know, we have a couple of returners on that team this year, Sydney Palmer Ledger and Zanna McMullen are both continuing um, their nominations on the D team. Sammy Smith, Mike Learnhart, Walker Hall, Will Coke, and Finn O'Connell. And, you know, these are athletes that are, all of them have been on a different kind of different development path. And a few of them have been top juniors for several years. And a few have been, you know, Sammy is young and fairly new to this, this stage for cross country. She focused on cross country this year because she had an injury that limited her free skiing. Um, you know, and so how wonderful for us that that's worked out that way. Um, you know, Finn O'Connell was at steamboat when I was coaching there and Finn was not the top athlete on our team. Um, I don't think he was necessarily the most into cross country ski racing all the time, but he was competent at everything. He was fit. He showed up, he kept training. And so that tells me that an athlete that, you know, is in it and involved and, and training well after several years, then takes a year or two to focus on the racing that they're doing and really put their head down. Okay. He's made a jump and he's now succeeding internationally on some level, you know, for, for those athletes, I think that's a really good asset. D team is not funded. So it's partially helped out by NNF on a project basis. Um, you know, and that's something that we wish we could fund all our teams. I wish we could fund all our teams. Um, it also allows us to make that team as large as the folks who meet the quota. We had Ava Thurston, Kate Oldham, Brian Bushy just missed that quota. And, you know, I know Chris spoke about criteria and not using discretion to make nominations. Something that we felt was really important was that athletes earn their spot on the team the first time that they make the team, especially the development team so that they know by that hard line on the paper that they deserve to be there. And they're not in the spring waiting for a phone call of maybe somebody's going to take a risk on me because I'm really close. The other component of that, when we were making those considerations and having those conversations that I think is really important to emphasize is Ava, Kate, Brian are not going to have their opportunities with coaching and with national team um, development projects necessarily limited by not having a nomination. So we're still inviting them to REGs, national elite group, national training group, those types of projects. So that they're still getting the training, um, you know, with the athletes who they're quite frankly, skiing right with. Um, and so we hope to keep them on the track so that, you know, them making the D team or the B team even next year is not even, um, not even in question. And we hope to support all of our athletes like that, right? The goal is for us to put as many athletes on the national team as possible and support them once they're there. And it seems like with those athletes too, it's it's nice to see some crossover with um, just how the NCAA programs are able to support uh, support and kind of bring some of those athletes together also. Like I think um, is a um, University Kate, of Utah skier. Yep, Brian yeah. and Walker. Yeah. Um, Yep, are both University of Utah. Yeah, and then I know, I think Kate and Ava have um, NCAA programs that they're integrated into that are also. Yeah, Ava's headed to Dartmouth in the fall and Kate will be headed to MSU Bozeman. Right. In terms of what's coming up and and just looking ahead to summer, uh, what are some of the, you know, camps or projects that you have coming up? And yeah, what what are you looking forward to in those? Oh, summer is camp season. Um, I hit the road next week for Whistler camp. Uh, we are taking the U18 group that we canceled on because of COVID in January, which I just want to point out really quickly. Um, that is the group of survivors of athletes that have made huge jumps and are continuing to progress and their fist points levels are actually, you know, uh, indication wise, they're in a really good spot. Um, but they've had their U16 camps canceled. They've had their REGs canceled the last two years. And they had the Scando Cup trip canceled like five days before we were leaving because the COVID, the Delta variant so badly in um, Norway at that time. So we're headed to Whistler with that crew, plus a few others. We're trying to, the goal of the camp is to put in good training, good focus training, get that group immersed in what a US ski team camp 
at a high level looks like a little bit and make Whistler feel a bit more like home as we head into Junior Worlds and U23s in January. Um, you know, and so we'll do some key workouts there. We'll get those athletes familiarized with the trails on the roller ski track, um, with the lodging, the food, the gym there. And we hope that many of the athletes that are at that camp will be qualifying for our world junior U23 champs, you know, between that and several of them raced already at, uh, us and Canadian nationals this spring. And we're just racing there in March. Um, and so, you know, hopefully they'll be quite comfortable there. Um, come the winter. From there, we start the regional league group camp circuit. Um, we've got the U16 camps going this summer. I'll go to one of those. Brian will go to one of those. Um, and then in August, we're going to take a group of 10 athletes to international junior camp hosted by the Norwegian Ski Federation in uh, Norway. We're going to do pre-camp for a week at the Torsby Ski Tunnel um, and then head over to Shushan. So we may overlap with the national team camp that's going on there at that time. We may just miss it, but, um, you know, we're planning to do two weeks there with that group of pretty highly focused, um, specialized training. We're looking forward to it. That's the first time in two years, I believe that we'll be attending that camp because of COVID and the changing face of the world. Yes. <laughs> um, last question or, or just, uh, talking point here. I know that you, you just mentioned, you know, the role the NNF plays, um, in all of this. So I'm wondering if you want to say a little bit more about that and kind of just plug, um, why that's so important for the development program and just what, what NNF really does for this group. Everything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> NNF is National Nordic Foundation is such an amazing supporter for us. And that's something that I've learned a lot more about this year. Um, you know, those guys, Berkey Foundation, I can't say enough good things about not only the level of support they per provide for us, but the method and channels through which they do that. So the way the support is delivered to the athletes, you know, this year, World Juniors would have been about $6,800 per athlete for the week. I think it was about $1,100 um, per athlete. And that balance sheet didn't magically go away and enough covered so much of that for the athletes, um, you know, and, and to ensure and enable our projects to be well-funded and well-supported. And so they take care of a lot of the infrastructure costs for us that allow and enable us to run those camps. They support again, many of the D team athletes on an individual basis. They have grants available for, World Cup athletes who are going on the World Cup that are self-supported, that are not on the national team roster or on the, you know, top ranked on the World Cup yet. Um, and so they kick in for all of those projects. And uh, yeah, I can't say it. thank you enough to them. They're very proactive. They'll say, hey, you guys have a camp coming up. Do you think you'll need support for it? How much support do you think you're going to need? Um, what are you guys looking ahead at, at wanting to accomplish? And so they enable so much of of what we do and they ask for very little. And so we're so fortunate to have a partner like that. And I think that much of the US key development that you've seen in the last 10 years has been directly related to the NNF support that we've received. Was there anything else that we didn't talk about that you wanted to highlight or yeah, just discuss. you know, it was a huge year. We're headed into another exciting quad. I, I guess I just want to say thanks to the ski community. It's been a really amazing couple of years for us as a nation. It's been a ton of work and so many athletes, coaches, race officials keep showing up and, you know, these people, many of them probably listening to this podcast, um, are the American ski racing community and the American ski racing scene and what our ski culture is. And one of my favorite parts of the trips this year was uh, the dinner times. Several of the days we're wrapping up events and races and training and, you know, from Italy, from Norway, we're watching a live feed of the regional NCAA races, the Berkey junior nationals NCAA championships all those were 20 Americans crowded around an iPad at a table with subpar internet. And, uh, you know, everyone has their collegiate hoodie on and is watching these races and, oh, I know that volunteer. Oh, that's so-and-so's mom, you know? And um, 
and watching the races and cheering on their teammates. And so, you know, between that and a highlight, another highlight from OPA was Elena finished the OPA cup. We had four of the female athletes in the top 10 in the women's race. And 10 minutes later, I have a Swiss coach walk up to me and, you know, he's hands me his phone. He's like, you won, which, you know, it seems a little repetitive. And, um, well, it was the mixed relay that we had won on the world cup and, you know, that race is going on simultaneously. And so the men we have at the finish area who have wrapped up their races an hour prior are going off because Zach Catterson just won a gold medal in a World Cup event, you know. And so those are things that they're huge steps for us as a nation. And we get to share that success as a community. And um, I think that's so fun. I am really appreciative to Faster Skier, to you and Gavin and Ella um, you know, and, and all the other folks that you work with um, that make skiing visible and keep us all informed with what's going on. Um, you know, that, that's the, the level of care that we have within the cross-country community in the United States for ski racing is so much of what is causing us to have this success right now. Um, so that said, my phone number and email are always available. My door is always open. Um, if anyone would like to chat about development or ski racing or has any brilliant ideas, um, you know, I'm always available and, and happy to chat with folks. So thank you for taking the time for the podcast and looking forward to hearing many more of them in the future. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy the content you consume on Faster Skier, we encourage you to consider supporting us with a voluntary subscription with price set at your own discretion. Learn more at fasterskier.com support. You can also rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast or share it with a friend or ski buddy who might also enjoy it.